continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount. We're in week four. It's been a sort of series that's been interrupted by a variety of different things. And uh, it's going to be interrupted by the, uh, the Jamaica missions trip here in a couple weeks. But we've got Doug Graham, vice president at North Central University, who's going to be coming and speaking in, in two weeks. So that's going to be very, very exciting. Pretty highbrow stuff, you know, big, big stuff. Uh, so anyway, I'm excited to have Doug here uh, in a couple weeks. But uh, today, let's get into the Sermon on the Mount, uh, part four. We're up into uh, Matthew chapter six. Let's do just a little bit of recap. So Jesus began uh, after John the Baptist. He preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then uh, he did a bunch of miracles, got everybody's attention. And then he began to speak. And this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, is basically the fundamental transition from the Old Testament to the New Testament, from the written code to the law that's in our hearts. And so Jesus describes lots of things in this sermon, but primarily what he's doing is fulfilling the law. He's taking the Old Testament law and bringing it to the fullness of God's plan from the beginning. And so he says things like, love your enemies. It used to be, don't murder. Refrain from murdering your enemies. Jesus raises the bar (laughs) to love your enemies. That's a significant difference. Amen? It's good to refrain from murdering your enemies. However, the way of God is to love those who persecute you, to pray for those who hurt you. And so Jesus calls us to love our enemies Um, Two weeks ago, the last time we were dealing with this sermon, we talked about Jesus dealing with be true and be truthful. His, uh, His fulfillment of do not commit adultery and do not bear false witness. So Jesus was saying that, uh, it's, it's, Important not just to refrain from committing adultery, but you can't even do that in your head. You've got to be true in your heart, not just in your actions. So you can look, but you can't touch is not good enough for Jesus. He raised the bar on that one. And no lying. Do you know you don't get to lie? As a Christian, Christians don't lie. You know, you don't get to cross your fingers and put your hand behind your back and tell a lie. Well, it doesn't count. Jesus didn't notice because I'm somehow invisible because I crossed my fingers. That's not how it goes. No lying. We don't get to lie. Jesus has taken that to that place. Don't even deceive people. Don't fool people. Be a person of truth. All right. So this week, we're going to get into talking about acts of righteousness, doing Uh, our religious observance and how we're supposed to do that. So let's pray and we'll get into new material this morning. So Heavenly Father, I thank you for your holy scriptures. I thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, that you don't leave us here to wander around and just try to figure it out on our own, but you guide us by your spirit and you guide us by your word. Lord, this morning there's people in here that uh, we're all dealing with different things or fighting different parts of the battle. We need something different out of 2017. Lord, so I pray that by your spirit, you would touch each one of us with what we need this morning. Lord, help us to grab hold of your truth in a way that we can apply to our lives and see your rewards come to pass. So Lord, bless our time this morning. 
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Jesus is going to talk about putting up a religious front and acting the part versus actually having a real relationship with God. Is that an issue even today? After 2,000 years of Christianity, where Jesus thousands of years ago said, don't put up a front, be real with God, we still deal with that. It's one of the great uh, accusations from the outside of church people. They're fake. They're pretending. They're putting on airs. This sort of thing. And so Jesus deals with this in Matthew chapter 6. Let's read verse 1 and get an understanding of what's going on here. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So, Jesus is saying, when he's going to talk about acts of righteousness, he's talking about things like prayer, fasting, giving, these sorts of things. And so he's saying, don't use prayer to impress people. Don't give to impress people. Don't use these things to manipulate people. This is part of your relationship with God. It needs to be the real thing. And what Jesus says here is, if you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So what if you... Do your acts of righteousness honestly before God. Can you expect a reward from God? In our Scandinavian, you know, northern area, we're always worried about being selfish. About expecting something good for ourselves. Let me tell you, we serve a God who wants to be your source. Who wants to be your rewarder. In fact, it's very strongly stated in Hebrews 11.6. So let's go to Hebrews 11.6 and make sure that we have an idea of this reward concept. Because if we understand it, it will motivate us properly and not in the wrong ways. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So are we able to please God without faith? No, faith is very, very important. What is faith? Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. Faith involves believing that God is real. Amen? But it's more than that. I believe that chair is real. I do not have faith in that chair. I mean, if I, I have faith that if I sat in it, it wouldn't collapse. But that's pretty much it. It is not my rescuer. It is not my rewarder. Anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. If we want to please God, we must believe that he exists and that he is the rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. He's not the rewarder of those who put on airs and fake it for other people. He's the rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. So I give you permission this morning... To believe and be excited about the fact that we serve a God who rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Amen? You in with me on that? Because it, it changes things. If we think God is a big angry old man, that if He sees us, He'll get us and squash us. 
then we have a different perspective of how we should interact with God. But if we believe that we earnestly seek God and we, be, we get into the presence of God, we get the attention of God, that then he's going to reward us, we have a whole different perspective on our relationship with Christ and with our Father in heaven. Amen? We serve a God that rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's faith. So, when do we get these rewards? Isn't that an important question? It's the United States of America. 15 minutes from now is not soon enough, right? We want our, <laughs> we want our rewards now. Well, let me tell you, there's two types of uh, rewards as far as when we receive these rewards. Type number one, in this life. Type number two, in the next. God will make it right either now or later. He will make it right. How many people have seen God respond in a mighty way and make a change in your reality? Have you seen God do something amazing? How many people have needed God to do something and it seemed to not happen? You know what? God will make it right. He will reward you either now or in eternity. Let's read an example of a reward that happened now. Because when we store up our treasures in heaven, sometimes heaven spills over into this life and we get those treasures now. Let's go to Acts chapter 10. Verses 1 through 6, we're going to read about Cornelius, just a little bit of the information there. But if you know about Jesus, when he was speaking the Sermon on the Mount, he was speaking to Jews because the Jews were the chosen people. They were the children of Abraham. They were the ones separated out from the Gentiles, the unclean people, the bad people who were just yucky and icky. And these are the people of God. And Jesus was one of the people of God. He's a Jewish man and he's speaking the truth of God to Jewish people. But God had a plan to include the outsiders that's the gospel is that when you're on the outside that the blood of Christ is sufficient to bring you to the inside you're good enough to be included in the family of God and so God had a plan to re-include the Gentiles into the family of God and this had to be introduced to the world somehow and just how like God picked Mary to be the mother of Jesus She must have been someone special. God picked Cornelius to be the Gentile that this truth would be revealed to. Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. So he was a military man in charge of a hundred people. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. So he's an unchosen person who is devout and God-fearing. He's an outsider that loves God. Verse 3. One day, did I read all of verse 2? Let's go back there. I think I missed something important. Verse 2. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. So this was a man who was a giver and he was a prayer. He gave, he helped people, and he prayed regularly. Very important. Verse 3. One day at about 3 in the afternoon, he had a vision. Now, that was the hour of prayer, so I imagine he was praying. 
He had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. So the angel says, You've been storing up treasures in heaven with your gifts to the poor and your prayers. And now it's time for heaven to spill out on you. And you are going to receive a blessing. And so verse 5. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. This is the Peter that got out of the boat. This is one of the unchosen people. This is a Gentile who an angel is coming to and saying, you go get Peter. He's got a message for you. Go get Peter. Uh, And then verse 6. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. And so Cornelius sends for Peter. God is giving Peter a vision at the same time. And Peter and Cornelius meet, and the gospel is spread to the Gentiles, and thus able to reach the entire world. An amazing thing. How come Cornelius got picked? Because his prayers and his gifts to the poor came up as a memorial offering before God. And so the reward happened for Cornelius in this life. Are there times where we pray and God answers? Where we give and God provides? Where we fast and God reveals things to us? Absolutely. We may be rewarded in this life. Expect the reward in this life. Does sometimes that reward get deferred? Sometimes. We need to persevere through those times. So, if Jesus is saying there's a way to get the reward, that God wants to reward us, we need to do it the right way, then we need to understand how to do this. And so let's look at these three things that Jesus talks about. Giving, praying, and fasting. So, let's go to Matthew 6, back to the Sermon on the Mount. Verses 2 through 4, when Jesus talks about giving. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. So I always think about the great big check. You know, have you ever seen those, the checks that are, you know, they're about three feet by five feet, you know, and they get your picture taken in the paper and it's a $500 check or something, you know. And I think, well, you know. We don't blow trumpets. We have great big checks. What if we did that when the offering plate came by? You know, everybody's handing these humongous checks in. It'd be, it'd be bizarre, right? It'd be weird. And what Jesus is saying is they have received their reward in full. So you blow the trumpet. You make a big deal about what you're giving. That's your reward. You got to make a big deal about it. You probably didn't even impress anybody because they were like, oh, yeah, they think there's something. And here's the deal. I always look at those great big checks in the paper and it says $500. And you know, there's a whole lot of people doing a whole lot more than that quietly. $500. You know what I'm saying? They've received the reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So when we're giving, we've got two options. We can impress people, manipulate people, try to control people by letting them know what we're giving, or 
We can ask God to show us what to give, be obedient to what he does or what he tells us to do, and then trust God for provision. Trust God for the reward. Which one is Jesus in favor of? (laughs) Where we don't make it a big deal. Now, uh, our culture is a culture that is very, very uh, financially secretive. Did you know that? Like if you meet somebody, hi, what's your name? Oh, my name's Ed. Oh, nice to meet you, Ed. How much do you make a year? Would that be an appropriate question to ask when you first meet somebody? How much is in your bank account? Do you have any debt? Yeah. You know, talking about financial things is a taboo thing in our culture. It's not something that's okay. Uh, in Jesus' day, it was not taboo. They were very upfront. They blew trumpets. When they gave things. I mean, this is, this is pretty crazy stuff. Let's look at Luke chapter 21. You may have heard about the widow's mites. It's an example of uh, Jesus talking about giving that's in the scriptures. And people talk about it quite a bit. But let's look at it and then let's figure something out here. As he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts. This was a public visible, out there thing. Verse 2. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Again, this was visible. People saw what other people were giving. This would be like for us if we had the ushers have, you know, usher cam and as they're taking the offering, oh, you know, Neely, oh, come on, you can do better than that. I mean, if that's that sort of thing. Wouldn't that be wildly inappropriate in our culture? Wildly inappropriate. So he sees a widow put in two very small copper coins. He makes a point. I tell you the truth. He said this poor widow has put in more than all the others. He didn't say, what's the matter with you people? You need to have curtains so nobody sees what people are putting in. He didn't say that. He said, this widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. So in this culture, their giving was very, very public. And Jesus is saying, don't try to impress people with your giving. It would have made sense then because it was very, very public. And he says, so don't make a big deal about it. We can get, you know, when, when a culture is already shifted pretty far to one side, and then you hear a, a teaching, you can kind of want to go deeper into the ditch. It isn't about hiding absolutely everything of our financial gifts and that sort of a deal. But what it's about is honestly giving before God. Honestly seeking the Lord and giving in faith. And at Good Hope, we, we give as the Spirit directs. Spirit-led giving. So we seek the Lord. We let Him show us what to give. It's an important part of our relationship with God. It grows into tithes and offerings as time goes on. That's a topic for another day. You can go online, listen to Pastor Larry's sermon about that a couple weeks back. Good stuff. But when we give, we give in obedience and humility before God, not to influence people. If we try to influence people, that is our reward. If we give honestly before God, we can expect a different reward. We can expect that God will provide for us when we need His help. The next one is prayer. Matthew 6 5 through 8. 
Matthew 6. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. So just like giving done publicly to uh, get influence on people, prayer can be the same way. And I don't see a whole lot of people going on the street corners and praying to impress people. That isn't how it works in our culture either. But people will like, oh, will you pray with me? I've got this problem. And they're trying to create a bond and a connection. And they're, you know, they're, they're sort of manipulating the situation. Or, uh, you know, there can be things like that where prayer is used in a wrong way. Have you, have you noticed that? I should think about it a little bit longer and get a more clear way of explaining that. But sometimes prayer is, I want you to be on my side and I'm going to tell you my problems and have you pray with me. And you're trying to influence that person rather than trying to get God to help the situation. Um, There can be those sorts of things. That's the allegory to our culture of you've received your reward in full. You know, if you just want other people to care, well, then other people care. And there you go. Now you're done. Um, How are we supposed to do it? But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So he's saying, get a relationship with God. Don't use prayer to connect with people. Use prayer to connect with God. Don't use prayer to manipulate people. Use prayer to find out what God wants you to do to receive things from God. Do it in secret. Verse 7. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. Do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. So, isn't that a nice one? You don't have to just keep praying and just keep praying until God finally relents. He already knows. And he wants to help you. Now, are there times to pray through? To continue praying? Absolutely. Um, Usually, that's when I need a heart change. You know, then I need to keep praying until it's all good. There were times where Jesus prayed all night long. He prayed all night long before appointing the twelve. He prayed all night long on a variety of situations. Before he went to the cross, he prayed all night long. That time it was to steady his character and be ready to face the opposition he was going to. So it wasn't that he was uh, asking for a request. There are times to pray for a long time. But Jesus says, Do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. So just repeating the same prayer a thousand times doesn't give it more weight to God than saying it once. Persevere in prayer, continue in prayer, but don't think that many words are going to manipulate and change God's heart. In verse 8, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. I've told this story before, I'll tell it again. Uh, My favorite terrible prayer being answered was probably about 10 years ago. I was getting ready for church, and I think I was the only instrument. This was, you know, back in the days where nobody came. And uh, my hand wouldn't work. You know, I was having carpal tunnel problems and didn't have insurance. You know, I couldn't couldn't go to the doctor, all this stuff. And so I had it 
prayed for a few times and just was getting worse. And it was kind of a cold morning and I couldn't get, I couldn't get the cords to work. And it's like, you know, church is going to happen here and I'm going to need some help. So here was my wonderful, majestic, beautiful prayer. I just said, come on. I shook my hand and said, come on. And then the numbness was gone. The thing worked. Had church. It was all great. Isn't that just a terrible prayer? You know, the beginning was bad. We're going to look at the Lord's Prayer in a little bit. There's nothing like the Lord's Prayer in it. The beginning is bad. The middle is bad. The end was bad. It's a terrible prayer. But God knew what I needed before I asked. And all I wanted to do was be able to play for church. And God answered that prayer. So that was a reward at that moment. Praise God. So don't pray to impress. Pray to God, not to people. And the length of prayer does not affect the reward or the answer. There are times to pray through. There are times to persevere. But there's a difference between that and babbling on and on. So let's look at the third one, fasting. Fasting, and then we'll, we'll save the Lord's Prayer. It's communion, first uh, weekend of the month, of course, since it's the first of January. So we'll take communion. We'll, we'll do the Lord's Prayer as our closing scripture. Um, fasting, Matthew six sixteen through 18. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. When you fast, does it say if you fast? No, when you fast. There's an expectation that we're giving. There's an expectation that we're praying. There's an expectation that we're fasting. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. So by the way, if you write your name on the list of the 365 initiative in October, when we do prayer and fasting, you write your name on the list. That does not count as disfiguring your face and being the sort of person that's trying to draw attention to themselves. Go ahead, write your name on the list. It's all good. We've got January out there, needs people to sign up and pray. We've got prayer guides out there. You take one, put your name on there. That doesn't cause any problems. It doesn't, that's not your reward in full that you got to sign up. The, uh, but here, apparently, this fasting thing was a big deal, and they used to make a big deal about it and make faces and walk around like, oh, you know, I'm fasting. And it, it was something that other people would look at and go, wow, that must be a very devout person. So they have received their reward in full. I want to say one more thing about this receiving your reward in full business before we um, continue on here. Here's the bad news about putting on a religious front. If you put on a front, your reward is that you get to be a fraud. That's a terrible reward. Let's get something from God. Let's actually connect with God. Let's not pretend so that we can fit in with a religious culture. Let's not have our reward be that we're a fraud. Let's actually connect with God. So, Verse 17, but when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. Again, we've got some cultural dynamics here to deal with. Don't put oil on your head. If you don't normally put oil on your head, don't put oil on your head when you're fasting. What this means is dress normally. Do your hair like you normally would do. Uh, Don't act funny. 
Don't not bathe. You know, put oil on your head, wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Again, like you can go to a prayer and fasting retreat and people can know about it and that's okay. But the reality is, is if you're trying to impress people, God is smarter than that. He sees through it and that's your reward is that you get to try to impress people. But if you actually are trying to connect with God, then we can expect a reward. What are the rewards of fasting? Have you ever wondered what the rewards of fasting are? Well, I'll tell you, it's not super delineated. You know, there isn't a verse that says, and the rewards of fasting are A, B, C, and D. But I'll tell you this. If you're on a spiritual plateau, if you've sort of hit the wall, and you're not getting farther in your relationship with God, it's time to fast. There are things that God can show you. When I need to hear from God, that's when I fast. And when I really, really, really desperately want to connect with God over a particular need, that's when I fast. But I tell you what, day two, day three, all of a sudden, all the noise in your head just sort of settles out and you can think one clear thought. And you can, it's just a beautiful thing. I'm all for it. And so if you want to know more about fasting, fast. Amen? That's, the, that's how you find out about that. Um, God moves when his people pray. It's even more true when they fast. I'm going to uh, invite the prayer teams up and the ushers up, and we're going to have communion this morning. We're going to read through the Lord's Prayer and try to see what Jesus is talking about with this, because one of the things that's a little bit ironic is Jesus said, don't keep on babbling like the pagans do. Don't just have repetitive prayers. And then the Lord's Prayer can sometimes be turned into one of those repetitive prayers. That's what Jesus said don't do. He's looking for a heart connection, a real prayer. Go ahead and start handing out the uh, uh, communion elements and uh, um, as we read through that. Let me make sure I get all set up here. First communion of 2017. That is awesome. Good way to start out the year. Amen. Let's look at the Lord's Prayer. We've got five verses of the Lord's Prayer and then two verses at the end where Jesus reiterates something very, very important. But let's look at these five verses and the five themes of the Lord's Prayer as uh, the ushers are handing out the communion elements. At Good Hope, if you would like to receive communion, go ahead. But just like what Jesus is talking about, don't do it because the people next to you are expecting you to. If you're going to take communion, just make it real between you and God. Make this a reverent time of honoring Jesus for what he's done for you and remembering Jesus' body broken for your healing and his blood shed for your forgiveness. So let's look at the Lord's Prayer verse by verse and let's get the basic theme of each verse. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So just just leave it on verse 9 there for a second. So verse 9, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What Jesus is saying is have proper reverence for God. 
I've, I've heard people pray, starting with, hey, God, I guess that's okay for you. I don't feel comfortable doing that. Our Father in heaven, you are holy. You are mighty. You are wonderful. Praise be to your name. We want to start with proper reverence for God. You know, we're the, uh, the coffee and jeans people. Coffee and jeans, when it gets out of hand, becomes irreverent. And we miss the majesty and the power of God. We're not just having fun. We are honoring a mighty, awesome God. We need to have proper reverence for God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This has a variety of meanings, but one of them is submission to the will of God. And that's what we're going to deal with for our purposes today. Submission to the will of God. Your will be done. Not my will be done. Jesus isn't saying to pray to try to convince God what God should be doing. Jesus is saying that we pray for God's will to be done and we submit to the will of God. We submit our hearts, we submit our will to God's will. So we start with reverence and submission. Next verse. Give us today our daily bread. Now, after reverence and submission, we pray for provision. Lord, take care of me today. Get me through what I need to get through. Help me make sure I can pay my bills and and honor my commitments. Give us this day our daily bread. So many times people think they need to pray for the nation to change and the world, this stuff. Hey, simple stuff. Pray for God to let you have a sandwich today. Give us this day our daily bread. Simple daily things. Provision. Verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Well, there's some depth in that one. Forgive us our debts. That is, make me all right. How many people have a hidden fear that they're just not okay? They've got something wrong with them. They've got something that's going to cause them to be rejected. They've got something inside of them that separates them from God. If people knew, it would separate them from people. This is, forgive us our debts. This is, make us right. It's righteousness. So we don't have to fear that we aren't good enough. Make us good enough. As we also have already forgiven those who have hurt us. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Pray for protection. So we've got reverence, submission, provision, righteousness, and protection. Jesus goes back to the righteousness part with 14 and 15. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Hallelujah. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. It's a wildly harsh verse. One time, I had God just kind of show me unforgiveness is opposition to the cross. Why did Jesus die on the cross? To take our sins away. Unforgiveness wants to stick people's sins to them. 
Make sure everybody knows that they've done this wrong. Make sure they get theirs. Jesus died to take the sin off of them for that no longer to be identified with them, for them to be free, for you and me to be free. If we want to receive that, we need to offer that. And it's a great time to take communion because we want to receive the forgiving power of God and we want to, of course, be followers of him and his will is that people's sins be taken away and so we offer forgiveness. So let's, it's January 1st, a good time to turn over new leaves. Let's offer forgiveness and then let's receive. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray you would search our hearts. Lord, and reveal those grudges, reveal those hurts, reveal that pain. And Lord, help us to be free. We release the debt. It was a wrong. It was a bad thing. We release it. Out of reverence and submission to you, we release the debt. And Lord, we thank you for what you've done. Lord Jesus, you went to the cross knowing we would need forgiveness. So we thank you for that. We will not forget it. We will walk our days knowing that your sacrifice was sufficient for us and we will have joy knowing we've been made right with God. So let's partake together. This is the body of Christ which was broken for you. And this is the blood of Christ which was shed for you. Let's close in prayer and then I'll invite people up for personal prayer. Heavenly Father, we give you praise and we thank you for your great plan of redemption. Lord, thank you that you don't cast us aside when we fail, but that you wash us clean. That's amazing and wonderful. Lord, let us share that truth with those who have hurt us and let us share that message with those who need to hear it. Lord, I pray that your joy would be in our hearts. Lord, that your peace would cover us and that we would share your love with this world. Lord, let it be. I pray a blessing over each person in this place. Let your strength and your power be with us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.